Lord, we thank you so much that you brought us here tonight. We thank you for your word. And I just pray that you'd bless our time of study, both here with the adults and the children. Uh, we just pray that, uh, that this Bible study would just be a time where our hearts grow close to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 7. And tonight in Revelation 7, we're looking at the redeemed of Revelation. The redeemed of Revelation in Revelation chapter 7. The key thought tonight is this. In the midst of this prophecy of great destruction and judgment on the world that is to come, in the midst of this all, the Bible does give us a picture of hope, and that is that there will be a remnant who are the redeemed in the midst of all of it. And we get a glimpse of that here in Revelation chapter 7. So let's look, and we'll begin in verse number 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And so many of you have probably heard about this, the 144,000 witnesses as prophesied here in Revelation chapter 7. So before we discuss in greater detail, let's remember where we've been in our study of Revelation. So just to go to last week, we saw uh, chapter number 6 really outlined for us kind of an overview or what we call the table of contents for the book of Revelation. And I shouldn't just say the book of Revelation, but what we're describing and what we studied in previous weeks as Daniel's 70th week. It was prophesied in the book of Daniel. Again, I'll give a plug for you to go back and listen to the last two messages, the last two lessons on this. That really kind of sets the stage. But Daniel's 70th week, also we're talking about the day of the Lord, or as is known as the seven-year tribulation. So in the first six seals, we've seen the unfolding of the judgment of the day of the Lord. We've seen, and we came all the way through to last week at the very end with the opening of the sixth seal, that the people would finally say, wow, this is the great day of his wrath at the end of chapter number six. So if chapter number six gives us this overview, chapter number seven puts us somewhere in the middle of this action. And it does not specify exactly where or when, at what point during the tribulation this takes place, but rather the emphasis is on these individuals who are the redeemed. So as we look at it, let's begin and notice the first thing. The first characters that we're introduced to are who? Who are the first, first individuals that we see? They're angels. And how many of them are there? <laughs> there are five of them. 144,000. We're getting our numbers mixed up. First, we're introduced to four, and then we're introduced to a fifth angel. Notice with me again. Let's read it a little more carefully. 
After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And we read some of this a minute ago. How would you describe what is the mission what is the responsibility of these four angels? What, is, what are they about to do? How would you describe what they're going to do? Yeah, Mike. So what do you think that means? So they're going to be agents of destruction, right? They're going to be agents of judgment. Specifically here, what type of judgment are they going to bring? It's going to be different than what we saw with the riders of the horses who bring war and things like that. What does it seem that their role of judgment is going to be? In what realm possibly? Yeah, Frank? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something in the natural realm is going to be affected. So they are going to have an effect on perhaps the very climate itself. And part of the judgment, we know that all of this is leading to the destruction of the earth as we know it, and then the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. So one of the most, one of the most awesome thoughts about God's plan for the future is that he... The whole order of this world is going to be unraveled right from the the or the um, governmental powers and the structure of nations, but right down to the very way that the the physical earth operates. So these angels have a mission and it's a mission of judgment. Kind of interesting because in, in on Sunday mornings, we just kind of wrapped up a study on angels and demons and spiritual warfare. Here we see angels whose job it is to bring about this this judgment so there's four angels and then there is a fifth angel introduced in verse number two another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living god he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea saying so he catches the attention of of angel one two three and four and he says listen wait Wait, before you do this, my mission is to what? What's this angel's mission? Somebody new? Yeah, I'm going to seal these servants. I'm going to mark the servants of God. Now, how many servants is he going to mark? 144,000 of them. Now, this is kind of interesting. So, there is a judgment coming. These angels are going to bring about judgment. But this one we haven't really covered yet, but you may know this from your study of the Bible. Who else is, well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Let me ask you this. Well, let's read on. All right. Here, let's start. Let me start this whole thing all over again. Okay. You guys are laughing at me. That hurts my feelings. All right. Now let's move on. Verse number three. So saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads all right why do they need to be sealed in their foreheads protection what's that to be identified okay by whom protected from whom identified by whom 
Because God knows who they are, right? There's some other marking going on too. There is some other marking going on. You're absolutely right. There, there will be a mark of the beast. We'll see that as we go. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So, very interesting. So, these, so who is this identifying mark for? Obviously, God knows who are his, right? Do they need to be, do they need to be identified for God to know who they are? So, so who are these people marked? Why are, who are they being marked? Who's going to see this identification on them? You say everybody, that's a possibility. Could be everyone that would see them would know this, that this is a this is a very physical mark that everyone sees. I think that's probable. I don't think it's necessarily definite, but I do agree with that. Frank, what were you gonna say? Okay, so there's a there's a marking of the we'll get to the tribe part in a minute. Mike, you had something else you're gonna say, I thought. Okay, so let's think about this. This is all that's all interesting. So who is involved in bringing about this judgment? So the angels. The angels are certainly involved. The, the, the holy angels are sent by God to bring judgment. Who else? Who else is the Antichrist? That's true. But there's another group that are going to be those that bring about this judgment. It's not just the holy angels. But who else? Patrick, you're kind of nodding like you might know where I'm going with this, do you, or, or you're just still... Well, somebody's experiencing this tribulation. Okay. But remember this, that, and I think my dad mentioned this a few weeks ago in one of the angel studies, is the angels that are reserved in chains of darkness until the last days. That there are fallen angels, the Bible says, that have been locked away. In other words, these are such wicked, evil, fallen angels that God has them locked away until they will finally be released at the last day. And they will be released and allowed to... They will do, just like that. we looked at the kings last time, they will do things that are are harmful and, and evil, and God will allow it as judgment except for the fact that they will see these 144,000 and those will be what? They'll see that mark on them. Interesting. You got something? Don't even give me that look sometimes. I'm like, oh, he's got something to say, I think, but not this time. So, they're sealed. They're marked. That They're not to be touched until they've accomplished. There'll be two witnesses. I'm getting way ahead of myself. There's also going to be two witnesses that Nothing's going to happen to them either until God says it's allowed. He's, he's got to work. God's got a, a work of redemption that he is going to accomplish even in the midst of his judgment. And that's something that's awesome. God has always had a remnant people. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, you look at the, the, you look at the nation of Israel as they went through all the judgments. Even in that day, God had a remnant And today, in the day and age in which we live, even as others fall away and reject the faith, God will always have a remnant in the church age, and it will be the very same thing in the time of tribulation, that God will have his remnant, because God's 
God has always been on a rescue mission for mankind. God's mission has not been a judgment mission. God's mission has been a mission to redeem a people from the judgment that they deserve. And so we see this, uh, the major players in this will be the 144,000 witnesses. So let's focus on them now. So that's verse number four. I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Verse five, you see 12,000 from Reuben and Gad. Verse six, you see him from Asher and Naphtali and Manasseh. Verse seven, Simeon, Levi, Issachar. Verse eight, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. And from all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel will be 144,000 witnesses. Why is this significant that these witnesses are coming from the 12 tribes of Israel? Now, Think about what we've already been studying in the last couple of weeks in chapter number six. What's the significance? These aren't Gentile witnesses. These are 144,000 from Israel. What's the significance of that? Okay, so the chosen people, right? Oh, that's an interesting, that's interesting as well. Yeah. Also remember, as we've, as we've been setting this up and studying the whole scripture, in the book of Revelation, who is God's attention turned back to? It's turned back to the nation of Israel. Right now we are in this church age where it's Jew and Gentile making up one church, but God's, the 70th week of Daniel has not, was not yet fulfilled. So this whole seven-year tribulation is this 70th week of Daniel. Remember, we studied that in Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon my people and upon the holy, remember, the holy city. So the attention of this whole time period is on Israel. So, of course, there are going to be Jewish believers who are raised up. And I think, do you know what one of the things I think they're going to be preaching? I think they're going to be quoting Matthew chapter 24. We saw that a couple of weeks ago where Jesus and his Olivet Discourse says, hey, when you see these things happen, run to the mountains. When you see this, know that the end is here. Right? Matthew 24 doesn't apply to those of us that are waiting for the rapture. Matthew 24 applies to those who are waiting the coming of the final judgment in the day of the Lord. So Matthew chapter 24, again, I'm I want to go back and look there, but we did it a few weeks ago. So you got to do the work and go back and, and catch up if you need to. But that message right there is going to be a message that's proclaimed where they say, look, this is the, the what Jesus said is being fulfilled right now. He is your Messiah. And I just think that's that's really amazing. So all of these one hundred and forty four thousand witnesses are going to be sent out to preach. Now, verse number nine, we shift and we shift away from the, the um, 144,000 to the great multitude, the redeemed multitude. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number 
of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with right with I'm sorry, with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So who do we think these individuals are? Who are who are the people mentioned here in verse number ten, this redeemed multitude? The saints, which saints? So you think this is, and I, I think that's what we're looking at here. I think you've got 144,000 on the earth who are the last evangelists. I mean, they, they, are the, they are the final evangelists that the world is going to see. And who's cheering them on? It's the redeemed multitude in heaven. Because ultimately, while in the tribulation, God's attention is turned back to Israel, has God's eternal plan only been for Israel? No, because his eternal kingdom is not a Jewish kingdom. It's a kingdom that's described here in verse 9. A multitude of nations and kindreds and people and tongues, all people. But once more on planet Earth, 144,000 are going to bring in the final harvest to be united with the saints in heaven, this redeemed multitude of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues who stand before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That is the, this is, this is the second time we've seen a scene like this, right? We saw it in chapter five. We see it again here. This is what we were created for, to be the people of God around the throne of God, the redeemed multitude. And while trouble is happening on earth, the saints gather around the throne and there's a final harvest that's bringing, that's being brought in. Now, meanwhile, though, there is a third group, and that are those who are under the strong delusion. How many have heard that term before, the strong delusion? To get some context for this, take your Bibles and turn back with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, if you have been paying attention, we've been going to 2 Thessalonians quite a bit. 1 and 2 Thessalonians deal with a lot of teaching on the end times. But go ahead to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we looked at this passage a little bit last week that talked about the coming of the day of the Lord. Talks about, in verse number 4, it talks about the exaltation of the Antichrist. And now in verse number 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's an interesting description of the Antichrist there. So you have 144,000 witnesses who's, who will be evangelizing, but simultaneously you'll, be have, you'll have the forces of evil, you'll have the Antichrist, and look at the, look at the deceitfulness. How, if you notice in verse number 9, how is he going to be deceiving people? How is the Antichrist going to be deceiving people? With signs? What, are, what are we talking about here when we see power, signs, and lying wonders? What, what are we referring to? So he's making a claim that he's going to be, he is the, he is the Savior of the world, but he's doing something. He's performing miraculous signs and wonders. He's doing miracles. Yeah? Right. Right. So there is a desire to see the miraculous. Yes. That's yeah. Let me get to that in a minute. So the first thing here is that there is satanic power. There is the satanic ability to perform miracles. And I think there is, I don't want to camp on this too long, but there is a danger in our day and age of people seeking after miraculous signs and wonders, even in the Christian community, right? There's an attempt, and I'm not saying that that they're following the... Um, I, my point is this. If, if your faith is built on some supposed miracle that you saw a supposed evangelist perform, if that's the foundation of your faith, then what is to stop a false teacher from performing a miracle and leading you astray into that? I personally believe that much of what is going on in, in extreme charismatic circles is, is um, a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. And I think people think they're experiencing miracles, but when they're studied out, there's just a lot of sham and phony baloney stuff happening. Just gonna, that's what I personally believe. That being said, there is a dangerous working behind that because the devil knows even if, if he can get well-meaning people to follow signs and wonders, they can be led astray into false doctrine as well. I think it's something we need to be very, very careful about. When the word of God isn't enough and we have to chase after a miracle or a healing or uh, some s supposed supernatural expression, that's a dangerous place to be in. We follow the word of God and the truth of God's word. Were you going to say something? Right. And it's not to say, I'm trying to be very careful because I know many true faithful believers who are in that kind of a movement, but it is a dangerous movement because it's not based strictly on the word of God. Often it's based on the word of God plus some extra experience that I've had. And so you need to be very careful that you're strictly basing your faith on what the Bible says, what God has said in his word, because there are 
powers of evil as well. Okay. So, but let's get back to the text here. Right. Yeah. He had firsthand, and I remember he had video recording even of, of in these tribal areas seeing witchcraft being practiced effectively. It was actually having an effect. It was a real power. Um, and... Right. You mean somebody doesn't come along, whack you in the head, and boom, that's a mi- you don't need that for the miracle. Right. God God should not God should get the glory for the miracle, not the person who supposedly performs the miracle. Right. Right. Amen. So he is the God of the miraculous, but we don't seek after the signs and the wonders because there is a day coming, as we're reading about, where people will seek after signs and wonders, but it will be from the wrong source. So back to the scripture here. Now, but now look what else happens. There's more, though. So verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So at some point, they were presented with what? 
truth. And the point is this, that they had rejected the truth, and because of their rejection of the truth, the Lord seals them in their fate. And in verse number 11, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think there are a few significant points here. Were these people simply predestined to be to receive damnation? Is that the point of this? No. In fact, it would seem as if God's sending them a strong delusion is predicated on their what? Their rejection, their unbelief. And the warning should be to all who have heard the gospel, who have heard the truth, God is under no obligation to extend his mercy and truth to us more than once. When he gives the truth, harden not your hearts, the writer of Hebrews says. Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. Don't have a hard heart. It was Pharaoh that you find the same principle in the Old Testament. Moses comes, Pharaoh, let my people go. God says, let the people go. Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then you know what else the Bible says happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart and confirms the unbeliever in their, in their way. And so the Lord sends a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And so while you do have a great, a great ingathering, a great witness, 144,000 who will be preaching the gospel of the good news of Jesus, you are also going to have many who had opportunity to believe who fall under the strong delusion and persist in their unbelief. So it's a sobering and a serious time that is to come. But let's not forget God's desire is not for is not destruction. God's desire is to have this wonderful multitude which no man can number around his throne. And that are and those are the eternal worshipers. So let's read how it continues back in the book of Revelation. Back in Revelation Verse 13, and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence they and whence came they? And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. And serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's a few interesting things here. One is what it says, these are they which came out of great tribulation. So some might think that, well, is this speaking about the people that are going through the, the actual tribulation period? I think that's a possibility, but I actually think this is more likely describing all believers of all ages who have been a people that have dealt with tribulation. And thinking of tribulation, not necessarily as we, we have termed this whole seven years as the tribulation period, but thinking of like what Paul said, talking about that this light affliction, 
is working a greater glory. Paul would talk about that. The fact that all believers are called to the, some level of tribulation and difficulty and the redeemed of all the ages are referred to as those who come out of tribulation, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Also, I think there's the look also the in verse number seven, uh, 15, they'll serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall, what's it say? Dwell among them. Dwell among them. To live with them. That's a theme that runs throughout the scripture from the very Garden of Eden. God walked with his people. The God gave Israel a tabernacle so he could live with the people. You and I, we're given the Holy Spirit to live with us. Jesus said to abide or dwell or live. I abide in you, you abide in me. And then that's the eternal habitation, the eternal dwelling place where we live together with our creator. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. The basic necessities and struggles and needs of life are completely met and completely satisfied. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. We take for granted having enough food enough, and enough water, but he's linking us here to the basic elements required for life. The things that people have worked for, the things that people have fought for, killed for, the, 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 the ultimate needs of life are completely met by our creator in that eternal habitation, that eternal home. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The redeemed of Revelation. That's Revelation chapter number seven. Any final questions, thoughts on what we've studied this evening? All right. Wonderful. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that we've had this time tonight to look at your word together. God, I just pray that you would help us to just to realize that um, that your desires is always to call people to yourself, to, re to the message of redemption for the nations. And I pray that we would be about that business today. Just like there's a 144,000 in the future, may we be your remnant today that is speaking the gospel. Lord, we look forward to that day where we are in your presence, worshiping you with all the redeemed of the ages. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you've placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. 
We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.